Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Cody, we've made it. It's time. The NBA Cup is here. Championship week. I know you've waited your whole life for this. The middle of December, the beginning of December. Very, very important basketball. No team has ever won the NBA Cup. There's never been a winner of the in-season tournament. We will now crown one for the very first time. Uh, today, we are going to have some fun and make some bracket predictions. Who does that in the NBA? Single elimination tournament coming up. We'll we'll get to our predictions at some point. Uh, but before we do that, Cody, you, you have some things that you want to discuss. You have some things that are on your mind, that are on your chest, and we're just going to, we're going to Go on the couch or lay on the floor, whatever makes you cozy and and comfortable. And we're going to talk about this 26-part thread that was on Twitter last week about Luka Doncic being overrated, um, actually well before that thread. And we'll we'll talk about that thread a little bit maybe to to get to some of these issues. But well, well before that thread, we have brought up and discussed over the years this weird thing going on with Luka's on-off data where the Mavs don't actually look much better when he plays in the game than when he goes to the bench. And it's a very strange, atypical footprint for someone who is otherwise considered a bona fide superstar, no debate about it, all kinds of records, great passes, scoring, triple doubles, you know, the whole thing. Two years ago, the run to the conference finals. So uh, are, are, are you ready to unload? Are you ready to unload your thoughts? Well, I think unload kind of frames this in a negative light, Ben, because I'm I honestly am not planning on like standing atop a pedestal and I'm gonna like shake this this Twitter thread like a like an apple tree ready to pour upon us some golden deliciousness so we can bake a pie. That's actually not what I'm gonna do. I want this conversation, Ben. I want to be I, I want to be vulnerable with you a little bit because I love it. Like I watch basketball. Right. Like, I, I hope people that listen believe that. Right. I don't just live in the spreadsheets. And when I watch basketball, uh, Luka Doncic does really brilliant things. Right. And I, I think back recently to the, that uh, Thunder game. They went on a 30 nothing run at one point. 30 nothing run. They ended up losing the game. So let's let's ignore that for a second. But there was just like they got to the point where the Thunder were just like, we need to double team Luka Doncic as soon as he crosses half court. And like. I'm pretty sure in the third quarter, I'm actually going to go back where the 30-0 run didn't happen to the third quarter, where he, I don't know if there was any possession that wasn't a pick and roll or an isolation, or he had to pass because he was double teamed. Like his ability to command that much, def- that much defensive attention to make Derek Lively look like an all-star offensive big man. I, I don't know. There's a lot of the things you watch when you're like, this is unbelievable. I don't know if I've ever seen this sort of visual manipulation in half court passing. But then, like you said, there's a lot of weird, I don't know, we talked about it when we were talking about the possible GOATS episode. Like, when you have somebody that doesn't have a signal, can you actually be, like, that all that high level of a player if the statistical signal isn't there? So I, I want to be vulnerable, Ben. I want to have a back and forth with you and try and pinpoint exactly what my feelings are and what your feelings are about Luka Doncic. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I have some reservations and mixed feelings as well. By the way, do people think you're... A spreadsheets guy? Do you get those messages a lot about just living in living in data? I don't necessarily know if I get that. I definitely had like, you know, I don't want to subtweet anyone, but there is definitely like an implication that I'm like a basement dwelling Cheeto eating well, yeah. person. No, it's because of the setup here, the YouTube setup where 
you look like you're in a basement, even though you're not. It's, it's the most amazing. I refuse to believe that that Cody was not in a basement the first time he showed me proof. But um, yes, See, that, anyway, keep going. It, it's interesting that that's the part you took issue with. To me, it's like Cheetos. Like that's that's really 2005. Like I'm a Doritos guy. Like the the not the Cool Ranch. I'm kind of over Cool Ranch. I feel like that's an adolescent thing. No diss to anyone that likes the Cool Ranch, but it's like the I don't even remember what it is. It's kind of a chili flavored Doritos that are the best. That's that's the implication that got to me then. You don't even know what Doritos you like, but you just know it's not Cool Ranch. They're in the purple bag. That's that's really all I remember. I think they have chili in the name. It's not lime, but it's definitely like a chili. They're kind of they, they just got a good flavor to them. They're the okay. best. They're the best Dorito. All right. all right. So yeah. So this tweet thread comes out, and like you said, it's multiple tweets long. And I was going through it, and I'm like, okay, I think ultimately the person who initially sent it out. I think they're on the right track with some stuff. And I think the thing that they're identifying throughout this tweet thread is that there's a weird discrepancy between the box score and some of the impact metrics. To me, like that was the big takeaway. It looks like you want to jump in. I, I, I just have to be honest. I have to, I, you know, we're being vulnerable yeah. and uh, you know, we've got m- many listeners who, who know us somewhat intimately now. And uh, thank you so much for all the kind words that you've bestowed on us lately. You know, at the end of the year, you get the Spotify wrapped thing and you get to see all the people. That, it's amazing. It's amazing. All the all the love and support. Uh, so I, I have to be vulnerable about this, Cody. I thought you wrote the I thought you wrote the tweet. I thought that was your <laughs> burner. And you were finally you told you kept telling me I want to talk about this on the show. And I kept pushing you off. And, and you just went ahead and uh, tweeted it and got 700,000 views or whatever Twitter statistics say that thing has been so I, I yeah i just want to confirm that you did not tweet that but you have we have bounced around these thoughts before just in little one-off situations yeah absolutely and you know if we're going to go straight to the tweet thread like i don't want to spend too much time like really breaking it down but i do think there are some good points in there i think there's a focus on a couple of stats that i don't necessarily want to take away as like hard-hitting evidence like i think there's something about on off total rebound percentage there's right, on right. off like yep. assist data on off turnover data and some of that stuff i'm like i don't necessarily care about that some of it's using five-year samples personally i'd like to like let's close that in a little bit more maybe a three-year sample would be a little bit better like players change a lot across half a decade like half a decade ago luca was a second year player so there's stuff like that where i don't want to say i took issue with but i'm like i'm not necessarily sure if this is doing the work that uh, the the poster might think it's doing. But I do think that the very bottom of it, the really interesting discrepancy between, like, when we break apart some of the box score metrics, like Luka Doncic undoubtedly has some of the most impressive box score, self-creation type of numbers we've ever seen. It's unbelievable. And you watch the game, it matches that. But then when you look at some of, like, the, the impact RAPM type numbers, they're significantly lower. There's a giant gap between what the box score thinks about him and what some of these think about him. And then when you think about watching him in, in film, like I said, ton of stuff pops out to you the the visual manipulation his we talked about it a little bit the shooting has improved his form looks a little bit better he's so patient he's such a strong finisher like there's really not too many holes in his game when he has the ball on offense but then there are times where you watch and i'm like i don't know here's a possession where he passes the ball off and there's 14 seconds left on the shot clock and he literally steps out of the frame at the top of the key and you don't see him For 14 seconds. Mm. Like the Mavericks are playing four on four at that point because he's just not doing anything there. You see somewhere he's he's trying to foul bait. Like he he flops a little bit shooting this three and he doesn't get up and hustle back and somebody gets a leak out uh, dunk. He makes a bad pass. Somebody leaks out and you can see him like putting his head down and pouting for a second. And that split second lets his guy leak out and get a wide open dunk. 
and part of me thinks I'm like, okay, are a lot of these like seemingly small plays that are adding up to like a really high leverage two point shots? Is that really contributing to a guy that's actually hurting his team quite a bit on defense or maybe even offensively making these decisions we don't like. So I'm not necessarily sure. I don't even know where I land on Luca, and I think that's why I wanted to bring it to you and talk about it. Okay. I think the meat of the thread gets to the points that you are, or both of us have even mentioned before in things like that series we did on who could be the greatest basketball player ever. When you have an on-off signal that he has, you know, whether you look at like his three-year peak or his five-year peak, because now 2020 to 2024, you could argue is five years of his prime, because he was really good in 2020. Basically, uh, has this rookie season, and then in 2020 comes out, and he kind of becomes the Luka that we know now. Obviously, there's some changes as you grow, and now he's adding to the shot. and So it's not the exact same player, but I think it's a fair thing to say he's had five really good years. He's had five high-end All-NBA years, uh, according to the accolades. You look at that, Cody. And his team's like two points better when he's on the court and they're not that good of a team. You know, that's okay if you're winning like 65 games a year and your net rating when you're on the floor is like plus 10 and then when you go off, it's plus seven and a half or something. That's a, that's a little bit more of an impressive signal to floor uh, to ceiling raise a team like that, excuse me. But they're not that great and they're about two points better. Two points better over either of those samples, a three-year peak or a five-year peak, is around 50th percentile historically. Uh, you know, over the summer, in a lot of the episodes we did, we talked about those numbers and the great players being plus 10 or plus 12 or, you know, the all-time greats being like plus 15. So plus two is this weirdly small signal. Now, the biggest thing for me is he has a small sample in the playoffs, but he looks much better in that stat in the playoffs. And in the last couple of years, you might be seeing an uptick where... You might see some plus threes, plus fours. Do we have a season where he gets a plus six? And then maybe with some hindsight, we'll look back and we'll just say, eh, the, the roster construction at the beginning of his career with all-star Jalen Brunson next to him and maybe Rick Carlisle when he was the coach and all these offensive concepts, it, it allowed him to play at a high level that we saw and it allowed him to put up the big box score numbers that we saw. But... It just wasn't conditionally that valuable for that team because they had Brunson and, and the way they set up the roster with all those guards. That That's something that's a possibility in my mind because I land kind of in the middle. Uh, if there's a middle to land in, it feels like, you know, on one end, you just have like bo box score, face value. Luka Doncic is one of the greatest players we've ever seen. On the other end, scoreboard signals, and I want to get to a few more in a second, but scoreboard signals, don't paint him that well. Is he as this Twitter thread that you wrote one night in a in a in a mad stupor? Like, is he uh, just totally overrated? Um, I land probably somewhere in the middle because I think on offense there are some nuanced complexities with off ball game that you mentioned, and we've seen that archetype before with James Harden, where uh, you know I think at his peak a couple years ago. In Houston, James Harden was, you know, a massively impressive or impactful offensive player. And then you get into these things where if you change the system or you change the players around you, maybe some of that lack of off-ball stuff hurts. But Luka, Luka has a little bit more in the last couple of years. He'll take you in the post. Like you mentioned, he's, he's actually pretty good from the mid-range and short mid-range. So it's not like he's just looking at threes and layups or free throws. So... And he will move. They will run more handoff actions. And 
uh, have slightly more dynamic sets where he's on the move and can make a pass or a play on the move. So I think offensively, I'm mostly there closer to the box score in the sense that I do think he's really difficult offensively. The fit with other ball dominant players might be something, but I do think the offensive value is, is pretty close to face value. Uh, it's the defense. That's an interesting question. You know, are you a negative defender when you're a six, seven, six, eight guard and you have some of the issues that you brought up and then how much does that hurt your team and how much does that hurt your team specifically when you play this style that I don't know. Obviously, there are signals that his defense is poor, and, they, and the tweet thread gets into that and says, like, if you look at multi-year on-off, because um, I looked at it, the the offensive rating over multiple years, the Mavs are 118 when he's on the court and, like, 113-something when he's off the court, but he gives a lot of it back with the defensive rating. So I think that's kind of where I am. There's maybe a few other things you want to unpack there, but um, that that summarizes my feelings. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think I'm really glad that you brought up James Harden here because I think if we just look at their offense, because that might be the place to really focus here because I think the defense has proven to be that he's – I don't know. I still probably view him as a negative. I think he was more of a negative last year. I think he looks a little bit more in shape this season. He seemed a little bit more disinterested at times. But across his career, you look at some of his on-off offensive rating numbers, right? And I know you just referenced it in terms of like the entire sample, but each year is like plus three, plus eight, plus four, plus six, right? Right around those ranges. And if you look at James Harden in that same time frame around what people would consider to probably be his peak, not, I think, everything after 2015, because in 2015, he has this huge spike to, like, plus 14. But after that, he never breaks plus 8 again in his entire Houston Rockets tenure. And if you look at some of the other, like, literal all-time offensive greats, LeBron James, Steph Curry, these guys, they're in the, the teens multiple times for their on-off offensive rating, right? And so, like, this signal that we're seeing is closer to, like, and this isn't, like, a shade to him, but, like, Shea Gilgis-Alexander's right around the same on-off offensive rating number as, like, Luka Doncic and James Harden here. So I think like the big thing too to take away from here is like, what are we talking about when we say the big overrated word, right? Like when we say overrated, I'm not saying that Luka Doncic is like, he's not even an all-star level player, but I think the way that he looks, his game might, especially in highlights, look like a literal all-time level player, but I just don't. I think because of some of these numerical things and the defensive issues and the off-ball things, I just think he's a, a rung down, maybe like a weak MVP, high-level All-NBA, but probably like around that weak MVP level, which is still incredible. Like, that still puts him, like, competing in, like, the top, I don't know, probably a top 10 player in the NBA, 
Like, I can't see him going much lower than that, probably like around eight, but I'm not going to do that right now. But I think like when you are at that level that we're talking about, dropping down even a couple spots is, I, I don't know. I think that's what I'm getting at when I say overrated in this sense. Right. Well, I think the I think the tricky part or the weirdness is that we're really having this conversation talking about overrated relative to the box score or relative to the perception of some of these numbers. And as you said, it's not just like stat sheet. I live in a spreadsheet based. You can watch his highlights and watch his games and he has these incredible moments and makes these incredible plays. And so if you just took all of that at face value, you might have to say, is he one of the, is, is he one of the two or three best players in the league is he one of the best offensive players we've ever seen like like on the short list of five or six best offensive players so the framing is really and that's what the tweet actually got into at a certain point it was saying like if you compare what he looks like in scoreboard based metrics the the on off and when he's in and out of the lineup with or without you wowie stats and things like that and then you look at his box stats he has the greatest discrepancy of any player we can observe in in the recent game. And that to me makes some sense because I think that's what the angst about the conversation that we're having is. I think that's where it comes from. Uh, I do I do want to point out, I said I'd get to it. Uh, the, the tweet had something in there about when his team missed, when he missed games. Like in his career, Luca's missed 60 something games and the Mavs are almost exactly the same with or without him. That I thought was a bit of a misrepresentation because if you look first of all chop off his rookie year I'm not interested in that I think he included the rookie year if you look at 2020 now another thing that strikes me as I went through this Cody is Dallas keeps having different players like a turnstile churn through the team there's no stable teammates like he gets Dorian Finney-Smith for three or four years in a row but you know, one of those seasons is like 40 games. He gets Tim Hardaway Jr. for a bunch of seasons, but he like misses an entire year. Uh, he has Porzingis for a couple years and then he's out. Brunson's there for a couple years, but he starts as a bench player and then he's out. So this is actually the signal of typically what we see with not great supporting cast, with not great teams. He doesn't have high-level role basketball players or sub-all-stars or other all-stars that are consistently next to him. Does that mean the Mavs are a really poor team? No, I don't think so. But I also think when you start to go through this, you're like, yeah, this is this is the footprint of a team that uh, you would not expect to make a bunch of conference finals and finals. And and the West is hyper-competitive, and they, you know, they had one run, made a conference finals in 2022. And other than that, they've kind of been first round fodder or infamously last year uh, didn't make the play in game sort of collapsing at the end of the season. So as I went through this 2020, when he missed 13 games, about the same 51 win pace versus 53 win pace, about the same with or without him. Uh, 2021, he only misses six games. So a very small sample. And I'm always trying to control for the best teammates that are there, whether it's Porzingis or Brunson or Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, he the, When they when he missed those six games, they fell apart. They played at a 22-win pace. And with him, they were at a 52-win pace. The next year in 2022, when they make that run, he misses 17 games. This time again, we're right back to no signal. So 51 win pace when he's out of the lineup, 52 win pace when he's in the lineup. And a lot of that is Brunson starting to be this, you know, all-star level point guard, takes the reins, his stats go up, things like that. Uh, 2023, last year, he missed 15 games. They played at a 34 win pace. 
When he played, they played at a 43-win pace. So now we're back at having a signal. So I wouldn't say that when you zoom out and you look at that, like, how is the team really doing when he's not in the lineup? It's no signal. It's not the greatest signal in the world. But over those four years, if you combine everything, which, by the way, mathematically, you can't really always do because the samples are kind of uneven. But I wanted to do it just to get a summary. 54 games out of the lineup, 39-win pace, 223 games in the lineup, 51 win pace. A lot of that is on offense. They have a plus five offense in the 223 games uh, in that sample controlling for the the only two players that he's really played with over those four years, Dorian Finney-Smith, who's now gone, and Tim Hardaway Jr. So just wanted to put a bow on that because to me that kind of sum, it almost sits exactly where I do, which is like there's something to the idea that he's not as great as his box score, but also, especially when you consider what we've seen in the playoffs, still pretty comfortable saying he's one of the best players in the league. So let me ask you this. Do you consider Luka Doncic to be an all-time level offensive player? Uh, I, I want to say, yeah, in spirit. Now, is that going to make my top 10 right now? I know over the summer, we we really talked about some of the all-time great offensive players. I, I think no, but, I mean, he's in that next, whatever that next tier is, I think I would have him in that next tier. So I want to say yes in the spirit of your question. Like, I, I don't know if you can easily name 20 players who have peaked higher on offense. Okay. And I know we kind of just did this, but now I'm interested because I, <laughs> I think this is, this is the crux of it all, where I don't actually know where people are, so maybe I shouldn't be throwing around the overrated word quite as liberally as I have. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's ultimately where I am with Luca. I do appreciate, who is it? It's NBA stats, they're called at sports mediocre i appreciate the tweet thread because i think i do think that this individual was identifying an interesting statistical case so i appreciate you providing some conversation fodder cody are you ready to pick the first ever nba cup bracket we've got the quarterfinals the semifinals the finals are coming up on saturday night so let's set the table um tonight's game the, this pod will come out slightly before the game, probably. So if you're listening right away, the the game tonight, will, there will be a doubleheader. It's the Pacers and the Celtics in the East. That's the 2-3 matchup. And then it is the Kings and the Pelicans in the West, which is also the 2-3 matchup. And, and oh, I'm excited about that one. You're gonna have, I need a seatbelt to contain myself right now. And then on Tuesday, we have your Bucks and the Knicks. We're gonna, that's juicy. I know, we, I know we want to talk about that in some detail uh, in the second half of the show here. And then the Lakers and the Suns, which might be my favorite of all the opening round games. And one of those teams will win the first ever uh, NBA Cup. So where would you like to begin? What game would you like to start with as we... um, Are we going to add this to our prediction board? We have a a running prediction board that we're checking in on later later in the season. Cody, Cody laid out the scoring, I think, in our most improved player episode is that we'll just to add this to the tally yeah okay i don't have this written down somewhere this is all gonna be this be off the dome i don't know how college analysts do it i don't know how you like pick people in like a single single game game. yeah it's why and those games are only 40 minutes at least the nba we have 48 minutes okay so like let's start with today's games right let's 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 do it in chronological order here i love it and i think to me Maybe not chronological. Yeah, let's do chronological order. Ben. So let's start. So, let's do Pacer Celtics. Pacer Celtics. Kristaps Porzingis is not playing in this game tonight. I don't know if that changes anything for you because obviously we have the Pacers, Roadrunner, Meet Meet, Let's Go, Indy 500. They are now truly the pace car of that race. 
Halliburton is the guy going 100 miles an hour, 128 offensive rating when he's on the floor. I want to see if he can get that to 130 this year. Um, and he's going up against the Celtics. Well, what, you know, does it hurt that Porzingis is gone? What are you, what are you feeling here? Has anyone floated the pace car nickname for Halliburton? I called him, I called him that in uh, the video, the recent video we did on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel. So, you know, I can't be Cody. I can't be the originator of all gauntlet level nicknames around the league. (laughs) Um, Has that been added to Gary Payton the second's? basketball reference yet have they put the gauntlet in there let me check it i mean for goodness sakes basketball reference friends you guys put everything else in there i was looking luke luca has 13 nicknames he's been in the league three years okay okay so they have they still have the mitten which is just (laughs) is is just wrong and then the other one is a young glove which is just lazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, so you're yeah, bad and you're yeah. lazy. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be bad or do you want to be lazy? Uh, young, like I, young young glove is at least a little it's <laughs> a little catchier, yeah. Yeah. So I think definitely Gauntlet needs to be up there. Um, uh, but there's one more piece of background information I want to give you. Uh, the Celtics and the Pacers have already played this year. Um, they have played in Boston. This game will be in Indianapolis. Very excited about that. Uh, so they played in Boston earlier this season. It was the fourth game of the season for each team. Cody, do you remember this game? Nope. Okay, let me refresh you before you make your pick. Uh, the Celtics won the basketball game 155 to 104. <laughs> so they they uh, they did they did the Pacers part of the thing, and the Pacers did not show up to do the Pacers part of the 148 offensive rating for Boston in that game. Indiana with a 99 offensive rating now in fairness there's more information i must give you i did not realize we were going to get into this level of incredibleness uh yes uh, tyrese halliburton did not play in that game oh okay yeah yeah so uh and yeah and they had a different starting lineup it's gonna be a different starting lineup buddy healed came off the bench so uh, aaron neesmith came off the bench so are you are you are you taking the pacers well, so if if Halliburton had played in that game, I think the score would have been like one fifty four to one forty seven or something like that. I I feel like this is like a when the the Magic played the Pacers, and I think that the Pacers kind of do struggle with these like buttoned up defensive teams. And I think the Celtics just have a team, even with Porzingis out. Honestly, Porzingis being out might be might be a boon <laughs> to their matchup. Like mm. I think Porzingis is a great defensive player, but you know when you have Jalen Smith popping out once in a while and Miles Turner popping out and hitting those threes, like that's tough for Porzingis to cover that ground. And I think that uh, you know is Drew Holiday still playing? I thought he was out for a couple of games. I'm gonna assume he's playing tonight. Uh, but you know you have two guys that are really good at chasing around different guards. Jason Tatum's an incredible defensive player, and you know they have they have the ability to be buttoned up on defense and i think that at like a really basic level is what i'm going to be taking in this game so i'm i'm leaning celtics in this hey drew holiday has been back for a couple games so i assume he will continue to play no word there that he wouldn't play uh, how do you pick a sing- how do you pick single elimination i don't know maybe may- i mean you're still going to have the normal amount of luck that you have in single elimination what what i had, what? I had yes. an idea yes. the point the point on the podcast is the same as like the light bulb I had somebody ask me, like, before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, like, what appeared over people's heads when they had ideas? Like, well, is it just like a flame that point, flickered up? Pointing, yeah. So pointing. People yeah. were just like, ah. Um, it was an emoji. Think, yes, it was a little orange emoji pointing <laughs> pointing down at the brain. Yeah. Maybe in these predictions, give your percent confidence. Like, how are you feeling in terms of this? Because, like, the Pacers, Celtics, I feel like Celtics, I'm like, I'm 
I'm fairly confident, but it's not so confident that I'm just going to like slam my fist down and say the Celtics. Like I feel like I'm like 70-30 Celtics. Oh, I was going to say 68%. I think there's a certain amount. <laughs> yes, I think there's a certain amount like the of price luck. Is right, Ben. It is. It is the Price Is Right. Uh, I've memorized all the results. Look, there's a certain amount of luck that you just can't escape in a single elimination game because the sample is small. So you know, hot shooting, cold shooting, miss five extra threes, make five extra threes, that kind of thing. But I wonder if because it's a single el- elimination, if we will see for the first time really in the NBA coaches quicker with strategy changes so in other words in a playoff series you do a lot of stuff in game one and then you may come back in game two and have a counter or change of coverage or change a lineup I wonder if something happens in the first half that they don't like if they go okay we're going small for the second half we're doing it right now we're doing it at halftime I don't know there aren't a, there aren't a ton of like typical halftime adjustments especially in a regular season Basket halftime is a very leisure activity, contrary to the uh, what you see in movies. Uh, it's very quick, and you do your shoot around. So I, I'm I'm curious. So I I'm not going to be able to go too high because of the single elimination uncertainty. But I'm with you. I kind of like the Celtics, even in a road environment. I kind of feel like that helps the Celtics. But what if the Pacers? What if they have a great crowd? What if they have a great basketball crowd there? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I think there is always the chance that the Pacers just like score 170 points because I just make 33s or something like that. But I think the adjustment, I don't even want to say adjustment because it hasn't happened yet. The schematic <laughs> idea that I would like for them to go into. I want to see this tried out because we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about pace, maybe an episode or two ago. And we were talking about the fact that the Pacers push the pace, but then like the Magic and other defensive teams were limiting pace by trying to by extending out their defense. And I'd be interested to see if the Celtics kind of experiment with like that. I would like to see some, you know, I'm not talking like hardcore full court high school hoops basketball pressure, but I would like to see a little bit of like full court. I'm going to be in you a little bit. Like by the time you cross half court, let's say there's. I don't know, 19 seconds on the shot clock instead of being like 22 seconds on the shot clock when the Pacers usually cross the half court. So that's going to be something that I'm watching for is are the Celtics going to try and deploy some kind of full court, three-quarter court pressure? I'm going to take the Celtics, 68%. Did you say 70? Do I have to go above you? Is it truly the price is right? Should I go 71%? Well, Uh, if you said 68 and I say 70 and it's 69 like, are we playing prices right rules? Like, do we act? Do we care this much, Ben? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean if it's sixty nine? What is that? What does because that mean? It's in the middle. If it, I guess. Wow, that's what, a really what dumb is it? Thing for what to say? What is happening? 
Well, I think you they know won, what? They won by 69%. <laughs> if we could expunge the last like 30 seconds of talking, uh, that would be great. That's just a statistical thing that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Pelicans, Pelicans, Kings, Cody, Pelicans, Kings. This one is uh, the shootout at the OK Corral. What do they call that building now in Sacramento? The Golden One Center. The Golden Corral? The Golden, <laughs> the Golden Corral Center. Yeah, what do they call that? Uh, so New Orleans at, at Sacramento. The thing to know here, my, like my thing to know for this game, and I'm just going to have to hold back from talking about it for the next 10 or 15 minutes, Trey Murphy the third is back no, for the is he? Pelicans. And he played one game the other day, and it was paired with a back-to-back, so he had to sit out the next one. But he played he played like 22 minutes, Cody, and he was 4 of 10 from downtown and had 18 points. And, I mean, you know, the little a little Zion Williamson, a little Trey Murphy action, this is what single elimination is all about. This is your, this is your dangerous eight seed in college basketball just lurking. There's only eight teams in this tournament, but you know what I mean. Um, I don't know. I'm fascinated by this because the Kings – the Kings have also been fantastic since De'Aaron Fox came back. I don't know what the record is off the top of my head, but they were like 7-3 and three or 8-3 and three to start in his first run back. He's played fantastic. They are basically, to me, last season's Kings, but maybe a little bit more polished, maybe a little bit more dangerous, maybe a little bit tighter defensively when everything's humming around the court. So I don't know how you're feeling. I'm going to take a sidetrack for a second here because this – I'm embarrassed. I had no idea Trey Murphy played like any minute. Played one game. And That's it, our, our it, job here on this show is to But it's so that. weird. I feel so siloed. Like I feel like when it comes to NBA analysis, Ben, like sometimes I just fire up the old computer. You know, I'm down in my basement and I got my Doritos. I can't even see my screen. It's like spread all over the screen at this point. But like I don't look at news. Like I fire up. I'm like I'm going to watch this game. And then I do. And if someone drops 100 points in another game, I'm just not going to hear about it, right? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like I need an NBA social media, right? Like, I'm not talking about on X. I'm not talking about on TikTok, right? I need, like, a specific NBA social media where I just get, like, all of my aggregated news. And people can, like, we need a new verb because it's not tweeting in the NBA thing. I, I need some shots. I need people to, to shoot some shots on there where I can see... Uh, you know, the happenings that are happening. Because I, I missed out on Trey Murphy. Did he look good? Like, besides the shooting percentages, were you like, yeah, this guy's looking solid coming back? Cody, I mean, you're, you're a national treasure because of this. I, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it wasn't news that Trey Murphy the third came back. It wasn't, it wasn't, you weren't missing breaking news all over the internet. This is a very niche thing that uh, we're here to cover. This would be like if Quentin Grimes sprained his ankle for two weeks and then came back for the game tonight. That's what we would have led with, of course. That's what well, it's like. Well, here's the thing. I, once upon a time, I think NBA Twitter used to be that, right? Like Trey Murphy coming back would be like the equivalent of I'm, – I'm not even sure what it would be the equivalent of. But I'm, I'm just angry that I didn't hear about it till right now. Okay. I think Adam Silver should hire me. I'll develop the NBA social media. It'll be great. I have no experience with it, but uh, whatever. Anyway, here's what I'm saying about this matchup here. Um, I think this is like the, of the games that are going on, maybe the one that feels the most volatile to me because I look at the Pelicans and I think this is a team that, you know, you talk about them a lot. You're higher on them than I am. And I think it's that volatility that makes them a little bit nerve-wracking for me like is Zion really going to be attacking the rim is Brandon Ingram going to be on his game and making all these shots is Trey Murphy going to be back and you know firing in all cylinders and then the Kings they feel a little bit more consistent like you said especially with the Aaron Fox coming back 
And I think especially with their bigs, like I think both Valanchunas and Zion, probably going to be, they're going to be struggling to defend in space a lot more against the Kings type of offense. So I'm probably going to lean Kings this way, but I think there's also a good chance the Pelicans are just on and they win by like 20. But I'm still going to say like, you know what? Let's go for it. I'm going to go 70-30 again, Kings. Wow. I, I feel like I'm more Pelicans curious than anything. They're they're extremely up and down. I don't know what to make of them. I feel like something could be there. I I am I'm feeling very juicy with Trey Murphy the third coming back. I I am going to I mean, this is the, they're good. How many how many play-in games have the Pelicans played in the last 2 years? Are they like 17 and 0 in play-in games? How many times have they been in a single elimination setting? I'm going to take the experience. I'm going to take the tough shot making of Brandon Ingram to have maybe an okay night. I don't know. I'm going 50.7% and I'm picking the Pelicans. Wait. Wait, why do the Pelicans have more experience? Uh single elimination. Yeah. No, how how do they have more experience though? In like single the in the single elimination oh. format, they have more experience. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All right. 50 points. I'll accept that. 50.7. I'm 50, sticking 50.7. Solidly. At seven. But what happens if it's at 60, Ben? If it's 60%, what will we do? I don't know. <laughs> I hope someone's writing this down. Um, who did you pick in the first game? The Celtics? Yeah, Celtics. Okay. And and this, this game, we're, we're disagreeing. Yes. We're okay. Disagreeing. Pelicans, 50.7%. That's going to be the final score. And you, you said 70-30 again. <laughs> I said 70-30. 70-30. Okay. Let's jump to the Tuesday games. Yep. The uh, the other set of quarterfinals, um, let let's stay let's stay out west, Suns and Lakers. Yep. Yep. This is this I think this is my favorite. Man, those West games are really fun. This one might be the this one might be the most interesting. If I'm Pelicans curious, then I am uh, I'm sort of uh, what's a what's a word. With the I'm Lakers disturbed. That's what I am. Like, I, I am Lakers disturbed. Like they are, are they better? Can they be better? Do they need a guard to change? Is Austin Reeves coming back? Is the defense actually going to be really good? Are they a middling team? I I I don't know. Uh, and then Phoenix, oh, those two those two guys in Phoenix, Booker and Durant. Oh man. Mm-hmm. And we go to the single elimination thing again. I mean, if if they're cooking and their shot is on and they're getting to their spots. I'm actually just kind of fascinated to see what happens in terms of how the Lakers start to defend Phoenix if they struggle to stop them in the in the opening parts of this game. Do they like make adjustments? Do they just say Josh Akogi, <laughs> Yusuf Nurkic, 23s for the rest of the game. You can have whatever. We won't even we're not even leave, we're double teaming Booker and Durant and not guarding anyone else. Like I'm kind of fascinated to see what happens in this game. I'm a big Josh Akogi fan by the way, like that dude absolutely goes like when we have our motor talk at the end of the year, he's going to be brought up. So it's you're like, going to, so Josh, so just to be clear, Josh Akogi, your, your favorite skill is that he runs a lot. Yeah. Like I, that's yeah. a skill, man. And he's yeah. got it. Like we were just talking about Luca and he has like an anti-motor, but like Josh Akogi is like out there just grabbing, grabbing all of the rebounds. Um, Man, this is a really tough one. Also, I, I do want to call out that you're just clearly pandering to big Durant LeBron viewership like ESPN's apparently like feeding into your pocketbook now so good for you who says has anyone said pocketbook in like 30 years like just aging myself on this one um I think I'm leading the Suns on this because when I think about the Lakers 
you know, Anthony Davis, we talked about a good amount, like the, the defensive improvement that we see happens a lot more in the playoffs, but it's like, he still showcases a lot of defensive brilliance in the regular season. Right. But I think his brand of defense, like the rim protection, being able to kind of patrol the paint in that way. I don't necessarily know if that's going to bother the way that especially Durant and Booker want to score. And I know Booker's really improved his game in terms of like, it seems like he's driving more, he's kicking more, he's getting to the basket. I don't know what the getting to the basket numbers look like, but it feels like he's getting into the paint a little bit more. But I feel like Anthony Davis won't be able to bother that quite as much. And I just feel like the Lakers have a better chance of like the other people that aren't LeBron, who's on off right now is like plus 20 in his 21st NBA season. I don't know. I I just trust the consistency of the Suns offense a little bit more going into this. But I think it's close. Like I'm going to say like 60-40 Suns for this one. What about the phenomenon, the 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 effect that LeBron really wants to get to Vegas and be part of uh as I mentioned at the top, the first ever NBA Cup championship. So are you like implying LeBron could go for like 50? I don't think LeBron can go for 50. No. <laughs> I'm just imp- I'm just saying that uh, you know he might play 40. He might he might start yelling at Darvin Ham to keep him in the game and uh, uh, might play 43 minutes and you know do you take that into it? it, it the game is in L.A. Game is in L.A. I don't know. You're not t- you're not buying what I'm selling. I mean I see what you're saying. I just I just don't trust the rest of the team. These were my reservations early on in the season. Like they just don't have a ton of creators out there. But then again, it's not like the Suns are like, man, I don't know. I don't know. I, I still think I'm I'm sticking with what I said. I just don't trust everyone else. I know Austin Reeves has looked better than he did like the first couple games of the season. But uh, I don't know. I just don't trust everyone else as a creator for this matchup. Okay. So you're Suns, Suns 60-40. That's what you're on the books for? Yep. Suns 60-40. Okay. Uh, I am going to go with the Suns as well. Okay. And I think I'm going to go... 62 percent 60 62 62 percent yeah all right one game what left of a <laughs> one that one game he's a real idiot one <laughs> one game left it's the bucks and the knicks the, these teams played earlier in the year and jalen brunson went for like 45 points in this matchup the Knicks came into Milwaukee and beat them. They're going to have to do that again. This game is in Milwaukee. The Bucks have kind of been turning a corner here, Cody. Um, let me start by asking you this. Do you believe in the Milwaukee offense now? Are you, are you starting to buy in to the Dame Lillard, Giannis, uh, Chris Middleton? Is he back? Are you, are you buying what you're seeing out there? I buy some of it. Right, mm. like I was given a grocery list, but I'm not going to take all of it right now because I still have a lot of concerns right now. Like the produce, some of the produce doesn't quite look like it's up to par at the moment. But there's a lot of things there that I think are looking kind of like I expected, and it is like you mentioned. I think it's the Dame Lillard of it all, Giannis, especially the two man, uh, two man game between them. I think Chris, in you know, he's only still playing like I think he got up to like 27 minutes, 28 minutes. I think in some of those limited minutes, he's looking good. Brook Lopez looks good. And I don't know. I think in general, I'm starting to like some of the things, but I'm going to kick it to you to start this one off. Are you seeing anything? Uh, do you want me to start? Do you want me to take the Bucks? No, kick it here? to me. No, I'm just, I'm just, I don't, I don't know what to make of the Bucks. I really okay. don't. I don't know. I don't know the last time we uh, checked in on them on this show and, and 
talked about their team and where we rank them and how we feel about them. But uh, here's, here's the biggest thing for me. I think Chris Middleton is absolutely critical to their long-term success. Like, if Chris Middleton does not look good, if he doesn't move well, if he just can't be the same player that he was a couple of years ago, because he's older now and he's been through some injuries and he's got some wear and tear on, on that body, and he's a big player as well. He's not a small dude. He was never a guy who said, I'm going to use the explosive superpowers of my teammate Giannis to fly by you and dunk on you. That was never his game. His game is tempo and size and high release and rhythm and skill. And so if Chris Middleton isn't really good, like still got to be a top 40 player in the league kind of good, I, I don't I don't know because I don't love the other... There, there's the schematic component of the offense that I don't necessarily love, the plays and how they fit together and things like that. And then there's also just all the other players. They just don't have a team of particularly skilled offensive players. I mean, we just talked about the Pelicans and all of the talented guys they can throw out there from however you feel about them. But, like, there are offensive players everywhere in the lineups that they throw out there. Valanchunas has some offensive bite. C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Trey Murphy, uh, Jordan Hawkins. Like, the, the list goes on and on. The Bucs are the opposite. The Bucs, it's like Lillard and Giannis, and then please get us some Chris Middleton. Brooke Lopez is kind of like the bridge between those players and what they have everywhere else. But after that, to me, what, you know, no shade. It's just they're defensive players, they're role players. You get down the roster, uh, and I just don't think there's a lot of offensive punch left there. So you got to be a great defensive team. And and it's, the book is still out on whether they're going to be a great defensive team. So you've hit on some of the key things that obviously I'm very excited about when I watch. Because I think in a previous episode – we were talking about the way that, uh, you know, Embiid plays offense. And I think you you even jokingly said, like, oh, don't you want to see Giannis in a de- little delay action? But I actually don't, right? And I think that they're starting to leverage Giannis in some really interesting ways offensively. And that's basically getting him to a lot of short roll types of positions, right? Like, they, they run some actions. They get Damian Lillard and Giannis to be in a little bit of a two-man game. And then Giannis is able to catch in kind of like the classic Draymond Green power play, right? There's a couple guys behind him. It's him four guys and then three defenders sort of in his way. I've been so impressed with Giannis's patience in these places here. He's not firing off the first pass he sees, right? Because maybe he looks to one of the corners, maybe sees an open teammate, but he waits a beat, right? He maybe takes a probing dribble because the thing we talked about with Giannis is this is maybe competing for the greatest finisher of all time in the NBA, right? So if he starts moving towards the basket, everybody shifts. And you see this in a few plays, right? Where he he's looking somebody off, manipulates them, drops it off to Brooke Lopez for a nice little dunk pass, right? Uh, there's a great drive he has. It's unbelievable hand strength or hand size, I should say. He's like hanging in the air with like his left hand going out of bounds and it looks like he's going to dump it off to Brooke Lopez. And the last second, he realizes the pass isn't there and ends up kicking to the corner for a three. I don't remember if it goes in or not, but it, it's unbelievable how he's able to do that. And just in general, I think that short roll game of getting Giannis in those positions is not something I remember seeing quite as often because, you know, you also see him just bringing it down in general 
uh, with his gravity when he has the ball, right? Miami Heat building a complete wall with their defenders to try and stop him from doing it. Easy kick over to Pat Connaughton, who ends up missing the three, but the pass is still there. Or like one of my favorite plays, I referenced something that was really similar to this, but Damian Lillard's driving, right? He's driving. And Giannis on the other side at the same time decides to make this 45 cut. He goes straight to the basket the same time as Damian Lillard. And you see Bam at a bio turn away from Damian Lillard. Turn away from Damian Lillard, who's really scoring well off the drive this year. And, you know, Lillard's able to dump it off to Brooke Lopez, who I think ends up getting a charge in that play. But my point here is that Giannis is being leveraged with his passing and his patient skills and his gravity skills, which is kind of opening the uh, the game up for a lot of other guys, including Damian Lillard. Hmm. The, the short roll thing is really interesting because, to me, some of the best actions I've seen from the Bucks this season are these high screens for Lillard. So for instance, double screen out near half court, use his speed and momentum to get downhill to turn one of the corners. And the short roll piece comes in because if you play that too straight, other defenders behind the play have to rotate to help on Lillard. And then so Lillard can can go around one of those screens, turn the corner, kick it, and you can get the pass or the extra pass to another shooter for an open three if you obviously send more pressure to Lillard then that's where you know Giannis comes in on the short roll passing and the decision making there uh I don't know how do you feel about it how do you feel about the decision making there from from Damian Lillard no from Giannis one in that short roll situation it's it's I like I don't know do you love it do you are you, you you don't sound as impressed with me like I feel like I've seen quite a few plays where you know what Here's the thing. We talked about a couple episodes ago where he like leads the league and travels per 100 possessions. So, of course, those kinds of things happen. He definitely leads the league and like, I'm just going to throw my shoulder at you and hope that I get the foul call in my favor. But usually it's probably an offensive foul. Yeah, that happens a lot. But like I said, it looks like he's manipulating a little bit more before his passes. And I don't know. It just seems like he's a little bit more patient than I remember seeing. And I've, I've been impressed relative to what I've seen from Giannis in the past. Okay, that, that's fair. I think off ball, I still struggle with what to do to him, what to do with him if he's not involved in the action. So they run like Lopez Lillard pick and roll, and then he's off ball. And then you can either ignore him as a shooter in those situations, or he's not great. You know, you swing it to him, and like, what's going to happen? He's going to drive into a wall, or, um, you know, I, I just, I just don't love him being off ball. In those situations, I think he should be part of the screening action almost every time. And then the other question for me right now with them is like, is Dame Lillard just older? Are we seeing a situation that isn't offensively as ideal as what he had in Portland? Because as good as Dame Lillard is, he doesn't look like he quite has the same bite as he has in past seasons when he's been, uh, you know, up there with at least statistically some of the absolute best players in the league. I think that's my other question as I think about Milwaukee and how the whole thing fits. So there are some team level numbers that make me a little bit more confident about it, right? Actually, let's talk about Dame Lillard for a second, because if you look at every team, this is from the thinkingbasketball.net database, you look at every player, I should say, that has over 10 drives per 75 possessions. You sort them by their true shooting percentage on drives. Out of all, I think it's out of 60, 69 players that have over 10 drives for 75, Lillard is fourth in the league in true shooting percentage on drives. 
And then the only three players above him, you have LeBron James, you have Tyrese Halliburton, and you have his teammate, Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? So I think when you see like that sort of explosiveness, it still pops off for me. He's still really slippery with his drives. He's still really good at getting that cadence down. He's been showing off the left hand with some of his finishes a lot more. Uh, I've been impressed with Lillard's driving game, I should say. I think it's a lot of like the pull-up shooting game that's been like really off, and I don't necessarily know what would be the reason for that. But if you look at the team level data, then the Bucks are first in the league in rim field goal percentage as a team. And this is from what I was checking. I think it was maybe yesterday. They're shooting 72% at the rim. All right. That's the best in the league. When you look at just the times when Damian Lillard and Giannis are on the court together, that goes up to 76%, <laughs> right? So whatever we might be seeing with like the explosiveness with Damian Lillard and whatever else, it's producing these high level shots. Furthermore, when they get downhill, they're really good at stationing their, stationing their shooters at the corners. They're sixth in the league in quarter three point percentage. Uh, I mean, I should say a percentage of their shots coming from the corner. And in the Giannis alone minutes, they'd be third in the league. Right. So they're really good at getting downhill and getting these open shots. They're getting corner threes. They're getting good, efficient shots at the rim and stuff like that. When I see that, I'm like, oh, this is going to be an effective, scary team to try and stop with these two guys that are both great at that skill. So you're picking the Knicks? No, (laughs) I do not think Jalen Brunson, who is probably wearing Drew Holiday's jersey after dropping 45 on uh, on the Bucks earlier. I don't quite think that's going to happen. If there is going to be a team that's going to do a really good job of limiting some of the efficiency at the rim, the Knicks might be a team that's pretty solid at that. So I do think it's going to be more of a rock fight, but I do think the Bucks are going to end up taking this one. But I'm not I'm not super confident. This is probably another 60-40 for me. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing about this game is thinking about the screening coverages and what happens when you switch Milwaukee's screens, especially with Giannis and Dame involved. What happens when you trap Milwaukee screens or send the second defender to Dame? Uh, and what happens when you play other coverages where you know you drop the big man more or something like that? It's the tricky part with Dame Lillard. If you're the Knicks and Mitchell Robinson's involved, does he come out to the level of the screen? That's the part of the game that I think is fascinating to me because I think depending on how certain teams play the way the Bucks like to operate on offense. Like, let me give you an example. Giannis with the ball, they love that low pick and roll where the screen is set like at the foul line or sometimes even inside the foul line. And if you don't have proper communication or or the right approach to defending that, it can just yield just ridiculous possession. You're just like, that was way too easy. What happened there? I think, I think it was uh, against the Heat in one of the in-season tournament games where Bam Bam gets screened because he's guarding Giannis, and then Giannis is just free to attack Brooke Lopez. In, uh, not Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is involved in the screener. Uh, he's, he's free to attack Kevin Love. And if you're not paying attention to that dynamic of like the screening coverage and this low, you're just like, why is all of a sudden Giannis playing one-on-one with Kevin Love in space? This is way, way, way too easy. So it's one of those things where I think early in the game, you know, if the way the Knicks play the screening action causes issues for the Bucks, I could see New York causing problems all night for the offense and taking it. Um, but but I, I do kind of like the home court situation for Milwaukee. I, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Milwaukee. Did you say Bucks? I'm going to join you here. 
I did. I think I said 60-40. And, you know, even in those minutes, like, if they're trapping high, like, let's say there's some minutes where Giannis is out and they do start trapping Damian Lillard Hyde or something like that. I've been impressed with some of the downhill abilities of Brooke Lopez. Like, I think he's even shown off some nice, like, dump passes in the short roll. He's got a nice little touch when he's driving to the rim. I know he's looked at as mostly like a spacer, but he's really got a solid touch when he's going downhill. So uh, I think they they have a few weapons. I guess it just depends on if the, you know, is Beauchamp going to shoot, like, 15% from three? Is... uh Cameron Payne going to be able to knock down some threes? Like, I honestly think it comes down to how well the supporting cast of the Bucks uh, makes those threes. And honestly, is it going to come down to Julius Randle, like, dropping 45 randomly because he shoots, like, six for eight from the three-point line? I'm changing my mind. No. I'm going to take the Knicks. Why? Let's mix Based it up. On what? Let's get saucy. Wait, Let's get saucy. I talk about Brooke Lopez being a great downhill threat, and you change? Yep, like, that, that's, <laughs> right. That the- that's right. That's right. New York's have we not mentioned how good New York's defense has been this season? Has this not come up? It's New York good, isn't it? Uh, they have absolutely one of the best defenses in the entire league. And if you look at their sort of like luck, quote unquote, luck adjusted defensive rating when you account for opponent shooting and things like that, uh, I mean, it is the best in the league right now. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I, I was thinking about what I was just saying about how they cover those screening actions and Mitchell Robinson and the bodies that they have and the way and and the way a Jalen Brunson team plays on the road in a single elimination game. Uh, Cody, I'm gonna just just I'm gonna mix it up. I'm gonna go Knicks. Fifty point one percent. Fifty. You're just the worst. <laughs> you're just the worst. Do you have anything to say about Chris Middleton? <laughs> Do you have any thoughts about how he's played? Because I thought I actually think in some of those limited minutes he's looked pretty solid. And if you look at some like per one hundred stats from the last couple seasons, besides the three point shot being like in the low thirties versus being in the forties, I thought he's looked like solidly spry on offense. I don't know if that's what you seem to be thinking based on his game. Uh, I think it's looked a little bit better. I'm yeah. still not. I still haven't turned the corner yet because it was uh, it was a low starting point for me so i think he's turned the corner a little bit okay so you're taking the bucks six would you say 60 percent? 60 40 yep 60 40 okay so to recap cody is taking the celtics and kings with 70 percent confidence and the suns and the bucks with 60 percent confidence uh i am taking the celtics with 68 percent confidence the pelicans the pelicans cody with 50.7 percent confidence the suns at a at a nice even 62 percent and the Knicks changed my mind. A last minute, a last minute submission. New York fifty point one percent. And we'll come back on Thursday and we'll see how wrong we are about all four games. Wait, are is the only one we agree on Celtic Spacers? No, we both have the Suns. Oh, we do both. Okay, so we have okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's yeah. fine. I mean, uh, honestly, I didn't know that these games were starting tonight. That was uh, that was another shock. This is why we need the NBA social media to tell me. Like, I need updates. It's like, by the way. The quarterfinals start tonight. And it would say, Cody, like this is a personalized one. It would say, Cody, you have a new update. The uh, Trey Murphy played the other day and the uh, quarterfinals start tonight. So like a place where you could go in and put in your preferences and then it would give you information based on that preference. Like, let me know when a, let me know when a New Orleans Pelican start, potential starter comes back in the lineup. No, because I don't want it that curated. I just, it needs to tell me like the important news. Like Trey Murphy coming back is important news. Right. It doesn't even have to be important, like everything, like when Jose Alvarado came back, I should have got an update for that, too. 
What a, so, so would there be a list of players? I'm trying to figure out how this will like, because personally, I want to know, like, if Jaden McDaniels misses a game and then comes back, I, I need to know this. Yeah. yeah, but it wouldn't be breaking news. Okay, no, here's how it is. I get an update, and I think, like, I get, a, like, a, a message. I get one of these shots sent to me. And like, it's a, like, like, a, like a Woj bomb. Yeah, and it's like an injury report of the league. And, it like, it might tell me, like, say, like, Drew Holiday second game out or something like that and it would just tell me every player that's out for that game and then there'd be a separate separate shot that's sent out that tells me every player that's coming back it's like this is them coming back this is how many games they were out that's what i need i feel like they have that uh where point it to me on the interwebs they have it on the interwebs yes i need it sent this yes (laughs) to support this show check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball that's where you can get all the stats cody was talking about today at least most of them uh over at thinkingbasketball.net we've got team stats that update all the time and have things like one, one thing i'm checking out here is we previewed the show home and away splits and how the pelicans and the knicks might be sneaky good on the road the knicks actually are, are sneaky good away from home so uh we'll see how that plays out um and then we have player stats as well we we're talking about things with luka Doncic and all, all the other fun players around the league patreon.com slash thinking basketball that's it we will be back uh in a couple days to recap the last few you know tournament games and um talk about other other basketball things do you have any final parting thoughts today cody you mentioned it earlier in the episode but are you a big spotify wrapped person like are you do you check yours out and like get really into the most listened to artists like taylor swift being number one for you Oh, so you mean my own, my own personal? Spotify. Yeah, like your own personal. Not, one. not as a creator of things no, on Spotify. No, 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 no. I'm talking about like when you see your most listened to songs and whatever else. Uh, no, but it sounds amazing. Yeah. Why don't you? One would have to listen to a lot of music, and I guess, I guess you could get like podcast yeah. feedback. Do you yeah. listen on Spotify? Uh, not that often. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah we're yeah. so much fun yeah <laughs> i do i do i do use spotify i just i uh i just listen all, you know on all kinds of different um let's end the show that's it thanks for watching and i hope you're having a great day